Well, again, I'm back here again, uh, proclaiming the truth of God's word for us today. First John, chapter three, verses four to ten, is where we are at today. And by the way, I forgot to mention. I apologize. After this. Uh, we're going to go straight into our communion, so because uh, today is our communion Sunday. So if you have not yet uh, gotten your uh, elements, I would uh, suggest at some point, uh, it's just over there uh, by the door, and somebody can help, can help us uh, grab them as well. So, but in any case, today we are in 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 to 10. Um, again, our series is That You May Know. And we have been learning from the first epistle of John. And uh, here, John writes to us, to the believers, uh, and he gives us a well-grounded and solid assurance regarding our personal salvation. Are you saved? How do you know? Right? <laughs> this, this is uh, really a, a million, billion-dollar question um, it's important for us to know how to answer this. Um, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, John said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And so throughout this letter, John gives us basic and key principles that if demonstrated in the life of a person, helps that person with determining whether they are truly saved. So this is, again, as I've said, this is important. This is something that you cannot afford to get wrong, your salvation. Every single person in this church and those watching at home need that assurance of salvation. Each of us need to be able to say and know on the strongest possible grounds that I am Christ and Christ is mine. Can we say that? Are we able to say that? And how? Um, because you see, it is possible to be deceived and misled into thinking that you are saved when in fact you are not. In our scripture from today, we are warned in 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Now, just as an example, I thought of this week, and actually I come across this all the time. Um, it, it's an interesting thing that happens to me, and I'm pretty sure it happens to you guys too. But I constantly encounter almost every day, whether through email, through text messages, uh, through social media, or even through a phone call, I'm always encountering these scammers. Have you guys, uh, have you guys been, this is, it's a, it seems like a normal part of our life now, right? I, I think a part of the scam of, of our generation is like, there's just, it's just, Scammers are just normally a part of our everyday lives. Um, you experience this, and in my case, actually, I've had several occasions wherein I received emails from someone claiming to be Pastor Allen, our, our very own lead pastor, so many times, and even our whole staff team, and even some people in our church have received emails from somebody or something that's pretending to be Pastor Allen. And so, you know, I would, 
for me, in my experience, I would receive the email from Alan Butrin, and, and the email usually feels off, right? Because I'm like, why is he talking this way? You know, usually it would be asking for the email or the text messages would be asking from Alan Butrin some sort of a favor. Um, and it would be usually referring to me indirectly saying, hey, comma, like, you know, not calling my name or anything. How are you doing? I have a favor to ask, but I'm quite busy right now in the office meeting, right? And, and so I'm reading, usually this happens a lot, and we're reading this in our staff meeting, but we receive emails like these that says, Alan is asking from help, I mean, for help from us. And, and as I read on these sort of messages, there's usually like a link at the bottom that you click. How many of you guys click that link? Hopefully not, right? Because next thing you know, all your money's gone or something, you know? Right? Um, so, you know, there's usually a link or there's some sort of an, an instruction that I should reply to this email right now or contact this number. And, and usually when I read these emails too, I'm actually in the staff meeting with Pastor Allen, right? Um, and so we just laugh about it. But, you know, I, but I also have moments where I actually take a moment and I check the sender, you know, you just go to the very top of the page and you check who sent it. And usually it's, and, and then I would find out that it's not from Alan at bridgewithme.ca. It's from some robot or something, right? Um, it's from somebody or something else. It's some weird username from a company or a website or, or whatever, you know. And so usually, I, for me, I, I've learned to just delete this sort of, sorts of emails. But before, when this, start, this kind of stuff started happening, I would actually check, right? But nowadays, I'm even really scared even just to hover the, the cursor of the mouse over that email because apparently they can get your information in that way too or something like that. But in any case, you know, usually you get this sort of weird emails of people pretending to be other people. And, and, and at, the, at the end, though, you can check, right? You, you can actually check. And by checking, you can know if it was indeed that person who you thought sent it. And so... Um, uh, unfortunately, though, I know a handful of people where they actually, right away, they saw this email from Pastor Allen, let's say, and they just click right away and they want to help, right? Oh, Pastor Allen will help you. But the next thing you know, it's like, oh, they're asking for money suddenly or they're asking that you go to Shoppers Drug Mart and go swipe some gift cards and put it in this account. It's like, why is Pastor Allen asking for money, you know? Um, but it happens. And unfortunately, it happens even to, to the best of us. And so you can get scammed. Hopefully, um, you don't lose too much money, time, and all that afterwards. But in any case, that's why it's good for us, as just in general, to make sure that we double-check, right? That we double-check and test it if the sender or the caller is really who they say they are. And uh, I'm pretty sure you guys already know, but I'm, I'm using that illustration, thinking about our scripture today, because it's important for God's people for anybody who claims to be a Christian to know whether their relationship with God, their salvation is the real thing or not. It's a good thing for us to do this. Just because someone says that they are someone or that they are something does not necessarily make it true. There must be some sort of examination and standard. Regarding our faith and salvation, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it says this, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, 
you failed to meet the test. That's what it says. And so today's passage in 1 John provides for you and me certain marks and evidence that will tell you or lead you to a well-grounded assurance whether Christ is yours and you are his. Specifically, today's passage talks about the marks of genuine Christianity in relation to sin. We are talking about all manners of moral sin, moral sin and not just sexual sin. If you are a Christian today, um, we will see this sort of approach that you will have towards sin if indeed you are a Christian. So let's dive in. Uh, may God help us as we worship him through listening to his word. In verse 4, it says this, uh, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So right away we learn that sin is not simply something that makes me unhappy. It's not just something that makes me feel uncomfortable. It's not simply something that destroys my joy or my life or, or the lives of those around me or far from me. The thing is actually all those things are true. But in these verses, we learn that sin is something that is directed against the law of God. Everyone has this capacity to personally rebel against the law of God. And you see, God's law is the expression of God's will. Now, most of you know that I have the privilege of serving and leading the youth here at the bridge. And one of the main things that we've been learning throughout the year is from Psalm 119, and it's this concept that how a person treats God's word reflects how they treat God himself. So you see, sin is rebellion against God's law, and therefore, rebellion against God himself. A person who practices sinning has this attitude in his or her heart, saying, you know what? So far as the law of God is concerned, I don't care. I can, I can live without it. It's okay. I can live my life outside of it. But what does Jesus say about those who live like this? Those who live their everyday lives as if God's law or as if the word of God does not exist. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, Jesus gives us uh, a really scary eye-opening reminder because many on judgment day will claim that they know Jesus, that they have a relationship with him and that they've done this great thing or that they've done that great thing for him. And yet, because their lives, their actions, and their hearts declare and proclaim that so far as the law of God is concerned, they don't care. I don't need it, they would say. I can live without it. I can do whatever I want, even if God's word tells me not to. And so on that day, Jesus will say to such people, I never knew you. Away from me. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You evildoers, you who break God's laws. And this is a sobering thing to hear from the, mouths of Je from the mouth of Jesus, from the lips of Jesus. And so, again, we will investigate these marks um, of genuine Christianity 
uh, in relation to sin. And for today, I have just two key principles that I want to share with you. So first is this. Persistent sin is incompatible in the lives of those who truly know Christ. And you can find uh, in verse 5 and 6, verses 5 and 6, it says this. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides or remains in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So what the Apostle John is saying is that when we claim to know Jesus, that means we're actually claiming to be united with him. We are claiming to be united, you know, tight, tightly bonded to Jesus Christ by faith. That's what we're claiming when we say that we are Christians. That, and, and also, we, if you say that you are a Christian, you are actually claiming that you, just like Jesus, have a desire to obey God and his law. Because Jesus had the desire to obey God and his law. And in fact, Jesus obeyed God the Father perfectly. But if we do a survey of our lives and we see this practice of sinning, this persistent act of sinning, this continuous life of sin that we go on living, as if we are still living the same life that we had before we encountered Jesus, John is telling us, that we failed the test. Now, it is crucial for me to say this, that John is not talking about Christian believers who sadly falls into sin sporadically. Um, But specifically, John is talking about the person who consistently lives in sin that the whole of his life, if you do a survey of that person's life, is marked by continuous sinning, which which actually reveals that that person's heart attitude is in rebellion against God's law and God's will. In verse 5, it says this, You know that he appeared in order uh, to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And so a person who is in Christ understands and knows this, that Jesus' perfect and complete work at the cross of Calvary takes away the sins of his people. Do you believe that? That what Christ has done for us on the cross has really fully and completely taken away our sins? Do you believe that as his people? Yeah, amen. And this is what Christians believe. Because first, his work is sufficient to take away all sins of those who would believe in him by faith. So that in front of God the Father, true believers are accounted for as if they have never sinned. Because their sins are placed upon Christ and Christ's righteousness is placed or imputed on them. In Psalm 103, verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. What a blessing, right? You know, east and west, they never meet. But this is how far that God has removed our transgressions from us because and through Christ. But of course, as Christians, uh, it's true that we are still in the flesh. We are still in this world. And so there, there will be moments when we will fall into temptation and sin. But the difference uh, is this. Our lives are no longer dominated by sin. If we are in Him, we no longer have this heart attitude of rebelling against God. No. 
uh, now as Christians, you will have this heart attitude of Christ uh, himself, the heart desire to obey God's word and his law. So more and more, you will see that because you are united with Christ, him was no sin. You will actually see this if you are a Christian. Because you are united with Christ, you will see that sin no longer dominates you. And so secondly, Christ goes through the process of cleansing you from sins. So not only does he, um, does he forgive you from sins, not only does he take away sins, but then he's also cleansing you from sins, the sins that are still kind of lingering in your life. So, when sim- so now, as, as, as God's people, this is our reality, really, and it's an amazing reality. You know, when sin comes knocking at the door of your heart and say, hey, you know, it's time to sin, time to go back to that old habit. You know, you know when that happens, right? You feel it. But now, because we are in Christ, we actually have the power and authority. We can say, no, I don't want to go there anymore because I have Christ in me. And I don't want to go there anymore because I love God and his word. And I don't want to offend God anymore because he loves me. This is the reality for the Christian. Um, and, and so because the spirit of Christ dwells in us, we have the power and authority to say no to sin. For Christians, what Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 uh, says is true about them. You know, Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 10 verse 14 says, For by a single offering he, Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So really, Christ's work at the cross has once and for all declared you, if you are in Christ, to be perfect because of the gospel, because of the perfect work and person of Jesus Christ. And if indeed he is in you, you will see that your life will be increasingly uh, being formed to towards Christ-likeness and perfection. So you will see this in your life, that Christ is cleansing you, separating you from the world, from the systems of the world, and your life is actually increasingly being separated unto the Lord in holiness, in purity, for God's glory. His spirit in us is not dormant, but effective and powerful. So in fact, his spirit is so strong and so effective that, that his spirit in us transforms us into his image, into his likeness. And even more, that we end up touching the world around us. The, we end up uh, telling the people around us about him. We end up doing something. We end up fighting for holiness. And we tell people about this gospel, this amazing grace that God has given us through Christ. And so even the world, for their sake, they become changed. There's some sort of transformation that could happen to the world around us because of God's spirit in us. Um, Yet, if you claim to know him, while your life demonstrates a life dominated by and committed to sin, John is telling us that you have failed the test. Um, And uh, Eric Alexander uh, said, An unchanged life is the sign of an unredeemed soul. And so, take the time to test yourself. You might say that you have a relationship with Jesus, the Christ, who died to take away your sins. You might say that he lives in you and that he is living his holy and perfect life through you right now. But if your life is lived as if Christ is not living in you at all, 
in truth and in love, by God's grace, he's telling us the truth. John is putting his finger on this. He's saying persistent sin is incompatible in the lives of those who truly know Christ. Therefore, if you are consistently, persistently practicing sin, don't be deceived. John, God's word, is telling us that you do not know Jesus. This is a a really hard thing to say. What a statement. But this is the truth of God's word. And God wants us to know his truth because he loves us. And so John is saying that there's no way that you could, there's just no way. There's no way that you could encounter this biblical Jesus who is awesome, who is magnificent, who is mighty, who is holy, and, 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 and then be united to him by faith all the while, while you continue to live your life unchanged, untransformed in your sin, just like before. No way. That cannot happen, is what John is saying. Again, you know, the more I say this, the more I feel the weight of this, and it, it might sound harsh. And, and maybe some of you are offended by this, but we know that here, no offense is given. We are given the truth of God's word. But maybe it's true for you that you fail the test, and you see in your life that you consistently practice persistent sin. I think John really wants us to see the reality of the situation. If it seems harsh, it's obvious that John wants us to see the reality of this, even if it, it hurts. He wants us to see the reality of the situation, even the hopelessness of this. Uh, but I think it is good that he's saying this to us because it's good for us not to assume the assurance of our salvation. But rather, we should be diligent in putting our salvation to the test so that you may know whether you really have it or not. So see, check, examine according to God's word. If you are indeed indeed his, and we are hearing it from John, this is not a matter that we do, wanna, that we do not want to take lightly. And so now, if after you take... Uh, the diligence in examining yourself, and in the end, you conclude that you are not his, well, we still thank God that through Christ Jesus our Lord, it is not a hopeless situation, amen? It's not hopeless. Today is the day of salvation. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ by faith. Receive him into your heart and into your life. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. You know, to those who are, maybe you might be, burdened by sin or guilt or shame and and christ says that to those who are heavy laden he says what come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart and what and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light Perhaps we, you, you might be looking at your life and you're like, man, I'm so tired of sinning. When nobody's looking, when nobody's watching, I know that God sees and I'm so tired of this sin in my life. It's, burden, it's burdensome, but you know, thank God for the hope that is in Christ Jesus because he invites us to come to him, to call upon him, to repent of our sins and be saved. Ask him today, if that's you, ask him for grace and mercy. And we thank God because he's merciful and gracious. 
those who come to him by faith, you know, he does not despise them. He does not tell them to shoo away, you know, go away, you know, to, to all who did receive him. What? To all who did receive him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. And so those who receive Christ and, receive, and are received by him, and in turn, they receive this new identity. And, um, and, and it's awesome of what happens to our lives, really, once Christ is in us. And now, because of Christ, they who believe are given the authority to become and be called the children of God. In Christ, for those of us who are in Christ, we know this truth, that you are a new person. You have a new identity. Your life model becomes what? No longer I, but Christ in me. Which brings me to the second point now, um, which is uh, persistent sin is incompatible in the lives of those who have truly been born again. So now in essence, John is saying the same thing here, it seems, right? But here, but he's sort of explaining why sin is incompatible with those who truly know Christ. And that is, it is because they have been born again. Uh, the old nature has passed away and the new nature has come. So we would find all of these in verses 7 to 10. But um, two of the marks or evidence that grace is working in your life, according to today's passage, is really this new obedience to God and forsaking of sin. If you were to ask yourself that, is that something that you are experiencing in your life, that you have this delight, you have this desire of obedience, of wanting to obey the Lord, and also of wanting to forsake your sin? Well, this is what we learn from these passages in verses 7 to 10. You know, when it comes to God's law, when it comes to God's word, you know, before being born again, God's law was a burden to us. Do you guys, do you guys remember this experience of like, oh, I open up God's word and it's like, oh, it's all rules and restrictions, things that I can't do. It, it's, it's burdensome for those who don't understand what Christ has done. But for those who know Jesus, they know that God's law, God's word is freedom. And, and when, when the grace of God enters our lives, we, we become like the psalmist who said, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. You know, by God's grace, those who are born again are so overwhelmed by God's grace. If you guys remember in, in the beginning of John, grace upon grace is what we're receiving. They're so overwhelmed by it that in, in turn, uh, they desire in their inner being to know more about the word of God so that they can know him and please him more and more. Maybe some of you can relate if, if you were to think about, you know, if, if you are married now and maybe back in those dating days, um, you're thinking about, like for me, for example, if I was to think about, oh, my wife, right? When she was this girl that I used to like, I wanted to find out all this stuff that she likes to do, so I will pretend that I will do them, right? <laughs> you know? So I can, I can kind of conform myself because I'm liking her. And, and even in those moments where I, I, I was thinking that I'm convinced that I love her. And so I start doing things that I think she wants to do, right? Um, maybe we can relate in that, in, that, in that sense. But really, this is what happens to the Christian. Because we love God, it becomes true for you that like, whoa, how, how do we know what God wants to do? How do we know what God likes? Well, 
we can't help but be like, hey, I want to just go back to God's word and know more about him. And the more I know about God's word, the more my heart says more of your word, more about you, so I can know more about you, so I can please you more, so I can delight in you more. And then the more I delight in you, the more you give me of yourself, and then the more I want to delight in you, and the more you give me of yourself. And, and on and on it goes in a sanctifying, increasing manner. This is the joy of, of the Christian life. We, we, you know, yes, we're talking about um, in, in regards to sin, but you see, because God is in us, God's word means so much to us, and it helps us to trump sin. Next, you know, when it comes to the reality of Christ's death, after being born again, we are able to understand that Christ's death is something that we behold It's not just something that you do during Easter or something like that, that you lament and mourn. But the death of Christ is now something that we we behold because behold the Lamb of God who what? Who takes away the sins of the world. His death removes our sins, our guilt forever. And while we're still on this side of eternity, sure we experience in our lives that Jesus is separating us from sins increasingly. So he also teaches He teaches us, Christ himself teaches us that in his death, we get to have life, real life, which, by the way, is characterized by a daily dying to oneself. More of Christ and less of me. Uh, Now, when it comes to the reality of Christ's life, after being born again, we notice a dramatic difference in our attitude towards sin. Because Christ lived this life trampling sin and death, we also become increasingly more sensitive to the sin in us. Have you noticed that? That the more you are learning about Christ and the more you are getting to know him more and being in his presence, have you noticed that the more you're with him, the more you're noticing all the sins in your life? Like sins that you didn't notice before and now suddenly the Holy Spirit is highlighting it in your life that even like the smallest sin, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, Lord, that I've done that. You know, one of the funny things that happened to me, this is real, this really happened. It's like, I remember those first moments of, you know, well, not really first, but like somewhere along the line, I'm growing in, in the Lord. And even for me, my, 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 uh, the way I observe the speed limits on the road, you know, it affects me. I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, cause, cause it, because God's word says that we, we are to submit to authority. And submitting to authority is, is related to submitting to God's word and to God himself. And so even some of you might have felt something like that, that even something as you know, maybe as a minute of a detail as like, oh, I'm going like 10 kilometers over the speed limit. Like, it bothers you. You know, God is highlighting even the smallest things. And, and of course, to other bigger things, you know, I would have moments wherein maybe I would have a bad morning and I would just randomly yell at my wife, not meaning to, but it's just because I was frustrated about something. But I would go to work and I cannot help it. But like, you know, an hour or two later, I would just call her and I'm like, I can't take it. I can't keep this anger. I, I want to let you know that I'm so sorry that I've done that. And because I know in my life that I want to ask for my wife's forgiveness, for example, the reason I want to do that is because I know that Christ has forgiven me. And so this is the reality of, 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 of the Christian. Uh, you know that the Lamb of God uh, is Jesus who takes away the sins of the world and so he teaches us Um, about his life, about his death, about our relationship with sin. And so our attitude towards sin has changed because now Christ lives in us. Um, Now, when it comes to Satan and his destruction, 
uh, we also gain a deeper understanding. In, in verse 8, John says that Jesus appeared to destroy the devil's work. Jesus came and died and rose again, but he was not only dealing with our sins. Jesus was also dealing with the one who stood behind our sins. That is no other than Satan. I want you to catch this. The Bible portrays unbelievers as a slave or as slaves to sin. Interestingly, the unbeliever believes that he is free by doing whatever he wants. But behind every unbeliever, his or her slave master is Satan. Um, I know. What a big claim. How can you say that? What a claim. It's like, I was thinking about this. I'm like, why? Why so black and white? You know? Um, is there no middle ground? What about, what about those people that are not really evil? I have neighbors that are nice. I have neighbors who are pleasant. Like, I can talk to them all day and we'll just be hanging out, having coffee. It's like, oh, I can hang out with this person. They're really cool. They're neat. I learned neat stuff about them. But God's word is saying that those people who are not in Christ are slaves to Satan himself. Wow. This is uh, uh, quite a claim, but this is what the Bible says. Why would the Bible call them off the devil? Well, I hope and pray that at this point in our study of First John, that God would help us to come to the realization that John is really showing us that there is no middle ground. There is no middle condition. If you are a person claiming to be a Christian, that's the context here, right? If you are a person claiming to be a Christian, it's either you belong to God or you don't. That's the whole epistle. It's either you're dominated by God's word or by your sin. It's either you're practicing righteousness or you're sinning. It's which is it that your life is showing? Now, when it comes to the life that Christ offers, what is your choice? Christ offers life. Do you choose death? When it comes to the appointed time that God will destroy, we know this, that God, there is an appointed time that God will destroy all of, uh, all of Satan's followers and Satan himself. Now, will you also be destroyed with him or not? That's the question. That's the question that these verses are asking. And so here at this point, John is showing us that when it comes to Satan and the life of those who say that they are Christians, Wherever the righteousness and the holiness of Christ is not the primary thing, the default is Satan is exercising his tyranny there. That's what this is teaching us. Satan has been sinning from the beginning. And therefore, we will see that Satan's followers, those who are ruled by him, will sooner or later give themselves up to commit to sinning and living a life of sin. It will show. This is not merely an opinion. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, he said, by their fruits, you shall know them. You will know whether you belong to Jesus. And hear this, or Satan. Again, you will know this because persistent sin is incompatible in the lives of those who have truly been born again. 
In verse 9, it says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, when it comes to God's seed, we see that God plants this picture of God planting his seed in us, his nature. Right? But of course, when, when God plants his nature in us, it doesn't mean that we become gods, small g, O-D-S, gods, no. Uh, we don't become gods, but this is talking about the same fruit, right, that comes from the same tree because it originates from the same seed. It's talking about family resemblance, grapes from thorn bushes. You know, I, I don't know if you guys have ever come across parents or newly, you know, parents that, are, that just uh, had a, a new baby. And, you know, if the baby is growing up and then has become a toddler, and now the toddler is now exhibiting some sort of intellect and skills, and then the dad will say, see, got that from me. Right? Or, and then if, if, the, if the toddler started to do something that is unpleasant, then they will say, oh, you got that from your mom, right? Right? But the point here is that's what this is talking about. God's seed is in us. And so if you are a Christian, you will resemble a family resemblance to God the Father. That's the point that John is showing us here. And so for us who are Christians, the very nature of God begins to appear in our lives and continues to show itself in our lives. And that's what makes us different people. It's not that we've gone through some sort of indoctrination course, or it's not that we've been trying to turn a new leaf, or trying to change our lives, or change our behavior. It's not that, but no, it's because true believers have become a new, you know, new creatures. They've become new beings. In Jesus Christ, with the new uh, natures, with, with new natures, with, with new desires, with with new interests and new standards, uh, a newness to life. And so John is not for a moment suggesting that we suddenly become sinless when we become Christians, but he does. But what he does mean is that we become different. Our minds and our hearts are set on Christ and we become eternally minded kingdom people as time goes on. And the difference is marked in these ways, just as we've been reading from God's word this morning. And so in closing, uh, we have to make our calling and our election, sure. This is the call for those who are in Christ. One of the ways that we do that is by examining our hearts and our lives before God according to his word. Now, if there's some reason that, that you, now, if, if there's any reason that you forget anything at all about anything that I said today, I hope this one thing sticks with you. And I've thought about it this whole week and this is really profound and hard. No, I don't know. <laughs> But I've thought about it, and it's really simply this for, the, for, for those who are believers, and this is the truth. Truly forgiven people truly forsake their sins. I hope that sticks. <laughs> I thought really hard about that, so no, I'm just kidding. I'm pretty sure other preachers have used something similar to this, but this is the truth for, for the Christians. The truly forgiven people understand the forgiveness that is given to them through Christ by God. And so they understand that, God, that it is by God that they are forgiven, and then now uh, it is them who will be forsaking their sins. Again, persistent sin is incompatible in the lives of those who have truly been born again. Um, and the motivating factor, what's the motivating factor? What's motivating us to obey God's word? What's motivating us to forsake our sins? If you're a Christian, what's the answer to this? Um, uh, it's actually interesting how John brings it back to the topic of love. He goes back to love. Um, the motivating factor for forgiving people is love. 
forgiven people don't obey God and forsake their sins in order to go to, in order to, go to heaven. No, um, really, they already know that because of God's love and through the work of Christ. They obey and forsake their sins because they know by faith that they are already on their way to heaven. In verse 10, it says this, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Indeed, for Christians, the love of God holds first place in our lives. Just as we have been taught by God from the beginning, not just from this epistle, but really from the whole book, from the, from the scriptures, from the whole Bible, this is what we are taught. We love God because he first loved us. If indeed, if indeed we are his, our love for God and his word and people will become increasingly, increasingly evident. Um, R.C. Sproul once said that the Christian life without love is an exercise in futility. And so let's ask the Lord to help us, to show us if we, are, we have shortcomings or to forgive us of our sins if we have not truly repented, if we have not placed our, our, our hope and our faith in Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Amen.